Ever since the online revolution, the future of brick and mortar has been in question. When the pandemic hit and restrictions barred consumers from visiting the locations of their favorite brands, many feared it would be the final nail in the coffin of physical retail. That wasn't the case. In fact, recent research from Adyen shows that 59% of global consumers still prefer to shop in-store, and 51% of businesses expect the proportion of their revenue from physical locations to increase this year. And while many still prefer an in-person experience at local restaurants, shops and cinemas, consumers have picked up new habits that businesses need to keep in mind if they want to continue seeing traffic flow through their doors. We've just had two years where generations of our children have not had the opportunity to go out and be together. They don't go shopping like I used to go shopping. It was part of my Saturday. We have to have those places to be, but they have to be places to be, less than places to shop. Shopping will be part of it. So I see the future of the retail element of it being collaborative. I've seen examples of greatness of this. I've seen fantastic places to be that have retail as part of it. This is Beyond Retail the show that helps businesses make sense of the emerging trends and technological developments within the ever-changing world of retail and hospitality. I'm your host, Marie Keyworth. In this season, we'll be exploring the shape of retail ambition and looking at how the lessons learned over the last two years are evolving the industry. In this episode, we'll look at the future of brick and mortar businesses and what factors consumers consider when choosing to shop in-store versus online. Despite predictions that the pandemic would spell the end of physical stores, it seems like they're here to stay. But what is it about the in-person retail experience that's kept customers coming back for more? It's just the company and, and seeing other people rather than just ordering online at home and not really knowing what the product is you're getting, the quality of the product. I prefer shopping in-store because you get to see the colour and like the sizes rather than online. Although online you have... Uh, more variety because obviously you're getting uh, a deeper dive into the stock of uh, of whatever company whereas in store you only have whatever they have uh, but online you're taking a gamble of uh, what it could be like rather than that immediate interaction the city center is nice i've just come out for a walk here so it'd be a shame for that to just disappear and everyone to sort of just live in their house if people are working from home as well that can have advantages but it could be sad if everyone's just isolated from each other to an extreme Consumers today choose in-person retail for a wide variety of reasons. For many, shopping is just as much a social event as it is about making a purchase. And during pandemic-related shutdowns, that social opportunity was missed. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. With businesses back open and customers returning, there is an opportunity for merchants to embrace the factors that differentiate in-person shopping from e-commerce in order to strengthen customer relationships. It's a critical moment for retailers. And one Milou van der Lans, an in-store expert and account manager at Adyen, has been carefully observing. The pandemic has really highlighted for each of us the things that we took for granted, the joys that went unnoticed until we had to miss them. And I think for a lot of us in the context of shopping, it really was that atmosphere of your favorite store and being able to touch, feel or physically try the products before you buy. Really that whole experience of purchasing something start to end. And for retailers, there's, I think, a really important takeaway here, uh, and that is that stores must offer something more than the products and services available online. And now that everything is opening up again, it's not really the same as before. So 
for a merchant, for a retailer evaluating their, their store strategy in 2022, I really think it should be focused on creating a, a destination that entices. There's no denying the convenience of e-commerce. Just a few clicks and you can have anything you want delivered straight to your door. But whilst consumer desire to shop in-store is still strong, will this continue once the novelty of post-pandemic shopping has worn off? Visiting a store is about that experience, about that journey. It, it's supposed to deliver something more than what you get online. So, And whether that is just the ability to touch a product and feel the fabric and fit it on the spot or being able to be consulted by a shopping assistant on the floor about something. It's having a moment, I would say, because as a shopper, it's so easy to go online, click through a few images and think, ah, I guess this is nice. But going into a store, you can make it a day out. You know, you can make it as a, as a young girl, you can make it a day out with your mum or Maybe you're purchasing something that's really special to you, like you've just graduated or you're celebrating your anniversary and you want that experience to to have a moment. And similarly, I think it's also really important that the store delivers some sort of brand recognition or brand identity. We very often now see that retailers are moving more into a space where the people that they target and the people that affiliate with their products, there's a sense of identity that comes with it. And that's the physical store, like physical retail is an excellent opportunity to really facilitate that. It's telling that 59% of consumers say stores should be exciting places to visit, not just about products they could easily buy online instead. Where we choose to spend our time and our money tells a story about who we are. Consumers seek products and experiences that connect with their identities, and physical spaces offer the perfect place to make those connections. This is true not only for retail, but for the larger environments within which physical retail locations live, like high streets and town centres. Here's one of the UK's leading business experts, Kate Hardcastle, to share her thoughts on the future of the high street and the role retail will play in that future. I've been a long time champion of the future of the high street. I think a lot can be done. And I think it's also about keeping relevant. I don't think you can create a PowerPoint and say, right, this is my ideal. This is what I want to deliver. And it, it's a, a fait complete. It cannot be. This is moving. This is fluid. And that's what the future of the high street needs to look like. Why am I hopeful for it? Because we're creatures that were born to socialise. And that sociability comes from not just going out and meeting friends or making time for the people we know, but just being around others. Many people find a lot of ease and a lot of comfort from just having the general noise and ambience of other people being around them. And high streets give us that. We need to socialise again. We've just had two years where generations of our children have not had the opportunity to go out and be together. They don't go shopping like I used to go shopping. It was part of my Saturday. I would listen and learn and watch and do my maths on a Saturday with my mum in the butcher store and I'd be watching everything going on. It's a stimulus. So we have to have those places to be, but they have to be places to be less than places to shop. Shopping will be part of it. So I see the future of the retail element of it being collaborative, 
strategic partnerships, alliances. I see it one that it's about the quality of the offer rather than the quantity of the offer. And I see very much that we have to get together with other sectors to make it worth. And that isn't just the health and beauty because we need those hairdressers and food and beverage because we need restaurants. This is so beyond that. And I'm talking about running tracks and places to take exercise in a mix and a melee of then some stores and then some services around that. And I've seen examples of greatness of this. I've seen fantastic places to be that have retail as part of it. So I'll continue to champion why we as humans deserve time, space and a place to be around other humans. Creating destinations and gathering places that include a variety of recreation, services and retail seems to be key when it comes to in-person consumer participation. But what will it take to create these hubs? And what needs to be considered to ensure they are as usable and as appealing as possible? If you travel the UK as much as I do, you will see that there's already examples of brilliance happening in the UK where actually communities have got together and delivered a lot more than perhaps the cards they've been dealt. And a lot of that has come from passionate people working together You've got to remember that a lot of the UK is made up from small businesses and those small business owners are passionate individuals, often running those organisations as much for the desire to do it as any profit opportunity. So I think we've seen that communities can take on the task of redeveloping their high streets, but investment will always be needed, I think, because we've got to change in the main what is quite a 1970s concrete environment in a lot of towns and cities and emit those into different places. Something as simplistic as thinking about toilets is essential. You know, I have been the carer of a disabled person and I have been the carer of my baby twins. Both times, the thing that rules every single outing is where am I going to be able to facilitate changes or toilet visits or accessibility? It doesn't matter what the stores are. It doesn't matter what the cafe is. It doesn't matter how great a cappuccino you're going to get. That will dictate so much. And I think it's time we get real about not creating the spectacle of a golden elephant to go and look at and be amazed at, but actually the reality of how are people going to use this? We have toilets taken away from us because... They're difficult to maintain because it seems we don't look after them. I mean, we've got to look to smart solutions. We've got to look to remedies that, just like technology, we wouldn't have seen it before. It's for a new generation. How do you maximise the space? Many of us are doing it in our homes. How do you maximise the space in a town or city centre? How do you make sure it's as appropriate for someone wanting to travel by car as by cycle? Don't cut everyone off. Don't take everyone out of the equation and then build back in. Work out how you make it a place for everyone. And it can be done. So yes, investment needs to happen. Yes, I think there's already bubbling brilliance around the UK. But oh my goodness, I wish we could start with some really plain speaking conversations for once because usage and purpose is so important. Keeping purpose in mind in the development of town centres can lead to positive outcomes that go far beyond increased retail revenue. Mark Robinson is chair of the High Streets Task Force, an alliance of placemaking experts focused on reinventing and restructuring city centres in England. For him, keeping physical retail centres alive is part of a bigger picture. 
I think I'll know when we've been successful in high street transformation, when people stop judging town centres purely in their terms of their retail success. So when we stop defaulting to think high street equals shops, then I know that we're a long way down the journey. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not one of these sort of people who are extrapolating short-term trends or even medium-term trends into the, the death of the high street and the death of the retail. Absolutely not. There is always going to be some form of ground for floor commerce that looks a lot like retail in most places, and that's going to be the dominant modality of use. But, you know, we've got to cram in all those other great uses that should always have been in our town centres. Living, clearly, workspace, education, health, civic, community. You put all these things together and you make them different in every place, which is really important. There is not, you know, we created these monocultures in our town centres, clone towns that everybody fell out of love with. So we do not want to create a one-size-fits-all solution because we'll just do make the same mistakes again. And then I think, you know, if each place can find its own purpose, then they've got to route through to a vision that's going to work. In Mark's ambitious vision for the future of England's town centres, retail belongs in a vibrant ecosystem. There, the role of retail is about more than just shops moving product. It's about strengthening communities and building pride of place. Five years ago, if you'd stopped anybody in the street in a town centre and asked them what they needed for the town centre, they sort of, depending on where you were, they'd either say Primark or John Lewis. Data that we're now undertaking both with my business and with the task force is people are a lot more nuanced about what they think their town centre is there for and and actually feeling safe and health and well-being from their town centres is becoming a huge, huge driver of uh, people's expectations. And it's, it's really to be encouraged because, you know, at the end of the day, we come together to feel better about life. Whether you go and see a friend or you go to the pub or you go to your church or wherever it is, it, we're communal animals. We come together to feel better. And, you know, we all come together in these places we call our town centres and they should be the places that make us feel better about ourselves. And unfortunately, so many of them don't. You know, you go to your town centre, you think it's a bit of a dump. Um, if you live in a dump, you think you're probably not that successful. If you don't feel very successful, your aspirations dip. And, um, you know, it leads to that spiral. And I think what we've got to think of is, you know, our town centres, this, this social infrastructure, which if we can get them right and get people feeling better about life, it ends up in the opposite of that. It's a sort of virtuous circle. Um, and, you know, health and well-being and feeling good about place is, is central to that. In this digital age, most consumers need to be incentivized to close their laptops and leave their homes to support the brick and mortar businesses in their communities. However, there is a recent and rapidly growing demographic of patrons that are visiting local businesses and bringing their laptops with them, remote workers. Here is Adele Gruen, a researcher and lecturer of consumer culture and behavior, defining what she calls the third spaces, the places where growing numbers of remote workers are spending their time and money. So a third place is defined by opposition to um, the first place, which is the home, and the uh, second space, which is the office. So the third space is any space that's dedicated to socializing. So that's, for instance, the, um, you know, your local cafe, the gym, any spiritual space as well. Um, these are third space where primarily we enjoy being together and have fun and socialize. We have been working on um, on third spaces for a while now, and in particular, we've been interested in, let's say, a growing trend 
of people working from their spaces. So they basically bring a new, a new practice of being at work and working in a space that's not intended for work. So we just wanted to explore how that new practice of working in a third space impacted third spaces and the third space market, but also how um, these new ways of working, you know, happened. How who are these people who work from cafes? Um, what are their motivations? What are they getting, you know, from working from a cafe? We've seen an increase of flexible workers, so people who don't necessarily have an office or even a space for work. So they they need to go to the third space. Um, they could rent a co-working space, but these are often very expensive. So the local cafe is more adapted for that. And, you know, what they seek, so more than just a table and, and the Wi-Fi connection is twofold. So their motivations are first to seek a place where they can do what they call focus work. So that means that um, a lot, for a lot of people, uh, they find themselves more productive in third spaces than they would be at home or even sometimes at the office for those who have one. The second one is the social aspect. So it's just being with others. So what's interesting in a third space is that there is always this idea of something might happen. And if it doesn't happen, at least you will have seen other people that day. So focus work and the social aspect um, of the third space are really the, the two things that are driving customer workers to third spaces. So changing trends in the workforce have led to changes in consumer behaviour as well, with workers treating local businesses as de facto office spaces. But what kinds of businesses lend themselves best to this new type of customer? The most common ones really are, you know, local cafes or pubs in the UK. Pubs especially because they have these, usually, you know, these very long tables and they're a bit more comfortable. But cafes as well, because it's there's the smell of cafe, which always comes back in the interviews. You know, people really like to have that smell. Yeah, these are the most common, straightforward ones, I would say. So there are very surprising third spaces where people work from. In our field work, we've visited, for example, churches that are transformed into cafes, or you know, people work in airplanes or train stations. Um, the gym as well, your local gym might have a table and you know Wi-Fi, and you can work from there in between workouts or whatever. But yeah, hairdressers are also quite interesting because it's um, I wouldn't necessarily call that a, a third space because it's more like a commercial space. But it's very interesting because it is showing a trend of, you know, rising, uh, working from anywhere. Apparently, there's a lot of people now who bring their laptop who will be working while having a haircut and they don't want to be disturbed by chit-chatting, basically. So, yeah, I think the third place and working from anywhere is um, it's happening, you know, faster than we think and in places that we don't even think about at first. Renting a workspace for the price of a cup of coffee seems like a pretty good deal on the consumer side. But what about for the businesses? How are these third spaces responding to their new and unique clientele? The places that we've seen are more and more realising the benefits of having customer workers and adapting to them as well. They are two main types of benefits, the financial and the branding ones. So financially, customers' workers are actually quite good to have because first they would um, they would come here and fill the space in off-peak hours. So usually they stay, you know, 9 to 12 and then 
two to four or something like that. When in pubs, for example, you know, it's mostly empty before 6 p.m. Or Yeah, it's always nice to have people in your cafe all day long. It's also visually quite nice um, that they they play the role of fillers, you know, that the um, from the outside, the cafe appears to be quite busy. So that's very, yeah, very attractive for other customers who pass by. It's also customers who are very loyal. They would tend to return to the same cafe, um, the same third space over and over during their week. And the third sort of um, financial benefit of having customer workers is this idea of uh, transfer of practice in the sense that when someone works all day in a pub, you know, you might very well benefit from transforming that customer worker into a simple customer at 5 p.m. and be like, okay, you've worked well, now you can have a pint or, you know, a cocktail or whatever. So yeah, financially is good. In terms of branding and image benefits as well, it's quite nice. So there's this idea of fillers that I've mentioned, but it's also, we have a lot of, you know, thoughts and ideas about who these customer workers are, you know, digital nomads. And in a way, a lot of managers have told us that this makes their space look a bit more trendy because they have, you know, they're able to attract this type of new hype, you know, workers, these new ways of working. They are part of that trend. So yeah, there is also these branding benefits as well. If the uptick in traffic from customer workers is good for third space businesses overall, it makes sense that they would adapt in an effort to appeal even more strongly to this niche market. So what does that look like? So three things. The first one would be to really think about that hominess threshold. What we found is that these uh, productive third space really have what we call a hominess threshold in the sense that they will be extremely balanced in terms of comfort and not comfort. (laughs) Uh, But the second aspect that was very interesting, and that started with the pandemic actually, is the idea of the special offers. So a lot of pubs now, mostly pubs, they will make special offer where, for example, for £10, you can book a table and you can have a space for yourself for the whole day. So you can make sure that you have a whole space for the day. And for the third space as well, it enables them to plan a little bit ahead, you know, how many people will come and work. And they can also have like a a reserved space where the lights might be a bit higher and things like that, so that um, it's more dedicated to workers. And then the third advice really is to professionalize in becoming a hub for customer workers and to do that there's several uh, platforms now for example across London and as a customer you can go in the platform and book book a table anywhere for like a, maybe a few pounds a day and work from there so it's, it's almost like a you can book a space in a co-working space except it's in, the, in a in a pub in a cafe in a you know whatever other third space that, it is, that they have on the platforms and that's really really helpful for third space that really want to target customer workers. Whether a business is looking to attract customer workers or retail shoppers, providing an experience that meets the needs of the target customer is essential. E-commerce can offer time-saving convenience and unmatched variety, but basic online stores are no longer able to meet all of the customer's needs. Consumers don't just want to shop online. They want to be able to add products to their baskets seamlessly across multiple devices. They want the loyalty points they can earn from brick and mortar locations to apply to their digital purchases. 
and they want to be able to buy products online and return them in-store, and vice versa. Cross-channel experiences are becoming a must for today's shoppers, who are themselves already straddling the digital and physical worlds in most areas of their busy lives. Through Adyen's research, we've learned that 55% of consumers are more loyal to retailers who have physical stores and online options, and 64% would be more loyal to a retailer if they were able to purchase an item that was out of stock in store and have it shipped directly to their home. What is motivating these shoppers to seek out and frequent retailers with cross-channel options? Adyen's Milou van der Lands is back to explain. We've grown accustomed really to a level of digital enablement during the pandemic that, you know, where the lines between e-commerce and in-store channels have become blurred and journeys like Click and Collect have become such a status quo journey. So post-pandemic in-store experience really should be a continuation of those flexible journeys that we've seen that are possible through digital innovation. There's really no going back to before. I think what we see is that shoppers are actually starting to expect such options as well. And there's a level of disappointment or annoyance when you find out that you can't click and collect or you can't return goods that you've bought online in store, which is why I think we see so many merchants investing a lot of resources into new point of sale solutions to really echo and and mirror that. So it's really about offering that level of convenience, especially in a day and age where we expect things so quickly, so on demand all the time, that can make that difference in the shopper experience. The cross-channel journey is a symbiotic one. When implemented successfully, both retailers and customers can enjoy significant benefits. The store can act as a really important touch point or actually a convenience point in the customer journey. So cross-channel journeys, for example, such as click and collect, can really benefit both the merchant, the retailer, and the shopper. Cross-channel journeys can offer a great level of convenience for shoppers in, say, some homes may not be suitable for at-home delivery because no one's home, you have a busy schedule, no one's there to receive the package, or there's not really a safe space to leave it. So collection in-store really is the perfect alternative. Similarly, it's a lot easier for shoppers who work close to the store to come and pick it up there. And in return, that touch point with the shopper in store actually offers a great opportunity for upselling or maybe communicating that brand or the friendliness or like giving that extra little personal attention to the shopper. Um, And in a similar trend, uh, buying online and returning in store then fits perfectly into completing that journey. The relationship between buyer and seller is not the only mutually beneficial one in a cross-channel system. Online stores and physical stores can complement each other to boost overall success as well. This is reflected in research from Adyen, which shows that 64% of consumers view physical stores as an important touchpoint, even if they shop with the same retailer online. But this complementary relationship didn't always exist as Mark Pilkington, brand expert and author of new book Retail Therapy, explains. The growth of the online revolution gathered momentum all the way through the 2010s and eventually got to a stage in some markets like the UK where it started to hit the mid-teens in terms of uh, e-commerce penetration. And at that point, the wheels started to fall off the retail industry because 
The retail industry is very scale sensitive. I mean, retail is a very high fixed cost business. You know, you have loads of stores out, they have loads of stock, you have loads of people, whether you have 10 consumers or five consumers or no consumers, right? And most retailers used to make their money on what we used to call the top slice of sales, uh, which was, you know, the, the last bit of sales which would give you your profit. You only therefore need to lose five to 10% of your sales in a, in a big retail business for the whole thing to be not viable. And that's what happened. So from 2015 to 2020, we saw uh, a relentless decline in the retail industry as the internet grew to be 19, 20% of sales. We already lost an awful lot of uh, big retailers. Then COVID came along and doubled all the stakes basically because in Britain, the share of e-commerce went from 19% in 2019. Uh, it's gone up into the mid thirties, but now it's dropped back obviously with stores reopening and it's now at 26%, but that is still a huge change. That is a seven point change on a basis of 19 points. So you're talking about like a 35% relative growth in the internet, which previously that kind of growth would have taken 10 years to achieve. And, and therefore what it's done is it's just accelerate all those trends the picture Mark paints for physical retailers may look bleak, but there is a reason to feel encouraged. The sharp shift towards e-commerce that the market saw during the pandemic forced the hand of many businesses that were slow to adapt to digital, potentially benefiting them in the long run. The reason I wrote Retail Recovery, which uh, is actually essentially quite an optimistic book, despite being written in the midst of the crisis, is because I think it pushed the industry over the edge. It pushed the industry psychologically over the edge where they finally understood that they had to go from being predominantly a stores-based business um, to becoming a multi-channel business. And I don't think that the penny had dropped. That what they were was large store businesses with a, with a loss-making problem child internet business on the side. And uh, when their stores were forcibly closed, which is something that never happened even in wars and revolutions and things, suddenly the scales dropped from their eyes they realised how naked and vulnerable they were and that they had to finally take multi-channel seriously, which they did. And, and there's lots and lots of evidence that big retailers during the pandemic and lots of small retailers who'd never had websites finally went online, finally discovered that it actually wasn't as hard as they thought it was going to be. By now, most retailers have established at least a basic online presence. But how are they approaching integration between these new platforms and their existing physical storefronts? And how does that impact their brands? I mean, there's lots of moving parts to this. I mean, for example, they, the big retailers started putting together all their databases, which they hadn't before, uh, and, and various other things like that. And that's the effect the pandemic's had. So it's basically accelerated everyone's thinking. I called it retail recovery, because I think we are in the midst now of some very, very positive developments. If you're just going to sell goods these days, you're really on a hiding to nothing, because there are millions of resources selling you goods and it's going to default to AliExpress moving stuff from straight from the Chinese factories. It'll default to lowest cost. If all you're doing is selling a box or whatever, then you're not going to get anywhere. And the only way you can build a brand these days is by layering on uh, a whole bunch of other things in order to meet, first you have to analyse and then meet the broader consumer need behind that product purchase. The other thing to say is that, you know, the internet channel is a really efficient channel for uh, move, transacting moving goods, stocking and moving goods. It really is um, because, you know, you've got centralised warehousing as opposed to dispersed warehousing in hundreds of stores. That makes a huge difference. And therefore, what I recommend is, you know, that if you're running a brand, a multi-channel brand, because I, I don't think we can think anymore about just like retailers and brands are separate. You're, everyone's a multi-channel brand. If you're a multi-channel brand, you know, you, you build up and use your online channel 
to transact, to handle the transactional side, because because your stores are not actually as good at transacting in lots of ways as the online channel, but they are potentially much better at doing a whole bunch of other things, which unfortunately in the past they've not been allowed to do because of the way retail's been, been organised, uh, which is essentially to connect with consumers. Um, yes, we talk about experience, we talk about meeting the consumer in person, we talk about customer service, brand ambassadors, we talk about education, we talk about in-store experiences that, that, that are broader than just the product, but that are other things that the consumer is interested in. Uh, we talk about using them for community building. Uh, it's important that brands build communities these days and see their role as curating the production of goods and services for a community as opposed to imposing again we're on to the push pull thing you, you have you have to involve your consumers in development of the brand these days and the store, stores are great for all those things because you know they're immersive they're physical but you can't really do that if you're if 90 of your store is just piles and piles and piles of boxes it just doesn't really work With purchasing so easy to do online, stores need to act as more than giant display cases for products. They need to serve another function. What does this mean for retailers? Well, Adyen's research shows that 32% of consumers say that to get them to shop in-store now, retailers need to make the experience more interesting with things like augmented reality, in-store cafes, or special events and activities. A good example of the rich, cohesive in-store environment that can develop from a successful cross-channel model is Rafa, the cycling clothing and accessory store. Rafa doesn't really exist in order to uh, sell cycling gear. Its actual deeper purpose is uh, to promote cycle racing and to clean up cycle racing and, and, and make it the number one most popular sport in the world. And their stores have They're like shrines to the cycle racing industry, really. They have big video screens where they show live cycle races. And half of the store is actually devoted to being a coffee house. Often, cyclists will go to meet. Before they go cycling, they'll go and meet at Rafa and have a coffee and, and something to eat. And I had a very interesting chat. I did a case study in, in, in the book with the marketing director. And she said she came in... Um, from a different background. And she said, why have you got half your store as a coffee house? It doesn't make any sense. They said, just wait and see, just hang out in the store and see. And after a week, she understood completely because the fanatical devotion of the Rafa community to the brand is something to be seen. They've managed to create an environment where people who are basically really into cycling can have a home. And the product's the least of it, to be honest. If you have that kind of environment, you risk to develop great product because you're constantly chatting to consumers about that product. You know, talk about running consumer research programs or whatever, they're often dry formal events, but this is like a constant interactive process of improving the product. And I, that I think is a great example. They chose to sacrifice half their retail space, which is quite a step, but it's worked for them. And as I say, you have to see the bigger picture. None of these things make sense on their own. And I say, look, you've got to buy the package. You've got to build out the brand, the community, the relationship, the education, the going beyond goods to, to the broader need, the services, etc. the community, the entertainment, the very strong online. Doing just one bit on its own doesn't really work. You have to build it out and you've got to have the overall vision to make it work. Identifying an ideal customer and building a unique in-store experience catered to their specific interests is how businesses can ensure they're providing value that a solely online retailer could not. 
Today's market demands cross-channel functionality, and to survive, companies have to deliver what customers are looking for. I like to be able to return to the store rather than to have to send things back by going to a local store and having to yeah, drive to deliver less it. less risk. You know, they might lose the package when you send it back online. You might have a little bit of hassle, um, you know, getting a refund if you want one. Whereas if you bring it into store, sometimes you might swap it for a different size and you might have liked the product. Yeah, I do that all the time. I order online from Next, but then I return it in store. But I only order online from Next because it's the only place that's nearby me. The internet and online shopping is becoming more and more prevalent every day. And I feel like having that integration where it's sort of like a seamless transition between the two, I feel like it's incredibly important because if you don't have that middle ground, there's always going to be like that gap between the company and the customer. It seems clear that brick and mortar stores are here to stay, but the purpose they serve is evolving. The future of commerce will be led by the companies best able to bridge the gap between the physical and the digital, delivering their customers memorable experiences and seamless convenience in equal parts. The future of physical stores is just one of the elements at play in today's retail market. So join us in our next episode as we take a deep dive into the data solutions modern retailers need to stay ahead. Yes, yeah, so I think it just gives them lack of visibility and a lack of a kind of golden customer record. So what you tend to find is that when merchants are trying to capture data from customers in different channels, they, there is a chance that they could probably capture that information twice. Um, so this results in really not having a true understanding of the shopper and therefore becoming a bit more fragmented in the data sets. That's next time on Beyond Retail. You've been listening to Beyond Retail. I'm your host, Marie Keyworth. If you want to find out more about the topics discussed on today's episode, visit adyen.com or follow the link in the show notes. A big thank you to this week's contributors, Milou van der Lans, Mark Pilkington, Kate Hardcastle, Mark Robinson and Adele Gruen. Join us next time as we talk all things data and find out how brands should be thinking about making informed predictions given the void of reliable information created by the pandemic. <laughs>